Amen. Love that song. Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Yeah, this is just a one-week sermon. Yeah, before we start a brand new series next week, yeah, and I hope you'll go to this great passage in the New Testament with me this morning. I know that I need to constantly be reminded what God's vision is for the local church, for the ecclesia. And yeah, the local church is still the hope of the world. We have been given the path to having a healthy church right here in this passage. If you're physically able, would you stand this morning for the reading? We'll begin there in verse number 7. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 7. But, uh, but unto every one of us is given grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. And then there's a parenthesis that's doctrinal there in verses 9 and 10 about the ascension and descension of Jesus. Verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him at all things, which is the head, even Christ." from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And let's talk today about the increase of the body and let's pray. Father, thank you that we could be in this place this morning. Thank you for your many gifts to us. We thank you for your grace in our lives, and I pray that you would help us to personalize your grace this morning as we talk about what each of us should do here in this local body of believers to be involved in your kingdom. I pray that you would grant us a great service now this morning in these short minutes and guide us, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I don't know what church... Uh, you grew up in, or if you grew up in church, or if you grew out of, up out of church, or unchurched, but I grew up in the heyday of what was often called the fundamentalism movement in Baptist churches. And uh, so uh, there were a lot of uh, fundamentalist celebrities when I grew up, and there were probably only two or three people even in this room who would know who some of those were. Uh, John R. Rice was the editor of The Sword of the Lord. And Lester Roloff was a big name. Have we ever heard of Lester Roloff? Yeah, that's what I imagine. Maybe five or six people. Jack Hiles was, uh, was at the First Baptist Church of Hammond. And boy, things in fundamentalism were in their heyday when I was growing up. And uh, the church that I grew up in, uh, they were always pushing for numbers. And numbers were incredibly important to a lot of church leaders at that point in time. And they still are. And uh, so there were questions like, well, what was the worship attendance? And how many rode the buses? And how many baptisms did we have in the year? And uh, there was always a push toward increasing those things constantly. 
And it was sometimes a, a thing where we were doing it just for numbers. I, I remember I had a, a Sunday school bus when I was in high school that I worked on. And a, we had a kids that would ride the Sunday school bus that kept getting baptized again and again and again. And uh, so I would talk to the kids and say, well, didn't you already get baptized? And I'd explain to them, you know, scripturally, you only need to really be baptized one time. Uh, it's your, you know, your identification in Christ. And, and I'd try to explain that to a fourth or fifth grader. And, and he'd say, well, that guy told me I need to be baptized again. And I'd, I'd go and try to figure out, well, why is that guy wanting the kid to be baptized again? And I found out that it was because uh, some of the guys who worked at the church and got paid by the church had to have somebody baptized every week or they got their pay docked, right? So that they could get the numbers, right? So they would go find some kid and say, hey, come here, do you want to get baptized today? Now, what kid doesn't want to go in the hot tub? <laughs> right? I mean, what kid in his right mind doesn't want to go hang out in the church hot tub, Right? So, sure, yeah, I'll do it. And, uh, man, I started hearing about that. And I heard of a church in, in Texas that uh, they said they had 5,000 people baptized in a year, and they were only running 800 in church. I was trying to figure out the math on all of it, you know, because the numbers weren't adding up. And, and this pastor who was having all these baptisms, he said that within... Uh, 14 years or something, they had 60,000 people baptized in Longview, Texas. And they were even go out and baptize them in tanks on their buses just so they could get these numbers. And they only had less than 1,000 people still going to church. And, and so all these numbers didn't add up. And, and numbers, really, they're an important thing. But sometimes the motivation might have been off. And Sometimes the motivation was to please God, but sometimes it was to one-up the guy across town or to be, be able to show up at the national pastor's meeting and say, we had over a thousand baptisms last year. You know, that push trickled down to every ministry of the church. And when I was in junior high, uh, before the story I told you earlier, I worked on a bus as well that brought children into church. And we would constantly have contests with other buses to see how to get the most people on the bus. Now, in fact, before insurance regulations and safety standards became what they are today, our goal often, numerous times every year, was to get 100 kids on the bus. Right? 100 kids on the bus. Now, this is a 66-passenger bus. And we're going to get 100 kids on the bus. And we would have goldfish Sunday or some other such thing where we give every kid a, kid a goldfish, dead or alive. And, a, and a, the, sometimes the bus leader would say, if we could get 120 people on the bus today, I'll eat a goldfish. I'll swallow him whole. And man, the kids, oh, we're going to tell all our friends. And, and you'd get on the bus and you couldn't even move. There were six kids in each seat. And five, six kids in every seat on the whole bus. And you were crammed in there like sardines. And every kid who took this home, this goldfish, and a lot of them got off the bus crying because little uh, Herbie or Nemo or whatever they were going to call him uh, was already floating. And, and so we would do all these big contests. Man, it was an exciting time. And uh, the bus would be stuffed. And, 
It was like riding in a subway to a Yankees game in New York or a train station across New Delhi in India. You were just like this the whole time. You couldn't fit another person. And I remember one time, one of the buses, we had 180 kids on the bus. That's just wrong. It's just, seriously, it, it's wrong. You shouldn't do that. That's bad. Now, don't get me wrong. I like numbers. God likes numbers. In fact, I believe he put a book in the Bible by that very name. See, every number has a name. And every name has a story and every story matters to God. But in our pursuit for numbers on the bus, or numbers in the building, or numbers in the baptistry, sometimes we might have been doing it more for our own glory than for God's glory. And it's possible we were more for the increase of numbers than we were for the increase of the body of Christ itself. And when we read this passage in Ephesians 4 and we read about the increase of the body, sometimes churches grow numerically, but sometimes they grow spiritually. And well, we want both. We'd love to have more people here today. That'd be terrific. We'd love it. But sometimes God gives us a time where we grow spiritually and we mature and we grow up into Him as it says here in the passage. And so I'd like to investigate some of these things this morning because I have to be honest, in 2015, we still keep records on attendance because it's good to notice who's here. You know, there are two other important numbers that to me are more important, and I think possibly more important to God than the attendance numbers. And those are the number of people in discipleship. Jesus always gave that number of of who his followers were. And he had 12 close followers, and he had 70 who started following him. By the time he ascended into heaven, he had 120 in the upper room. Those were numbers that mattered to him. He had uh, people who were developing by faith on purpose. And uh, we're going to be focusing, by the way, on this topic in our upcoming series, Enlarged, that starts next Sunday. Yeah, it will focus a week specifically on discipleship, and we have some new material and some new ideas, and I hope you'll be here for it. The other number is the number of people involved in church ministry. How many parts of the body are helping the body to be healthy so they can grow up and mature in Christ? Let's be reminded from the outset that everything we do, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, the Bible says, it should all be done to the glory of God. He's the reason we do all we do. And Paul cautioned the Ephesians to walk worthy of the vocation they'd been called to. That's what verse 1's about. In verse number 4, he reminded them that God was above all and through all and in you all. Then he went on to explain the importance of grace gifts within the body of Christ. Could I remind you this morning that God doesn't need any of us? He doesn't need any of us. He is far above all principalities and powers. He is above all kingdoms and kings. He did not need us to help his own existence. The Bible says he made us for his own pleasure. You know, the incredible thing is that he's willing to work through us. He is willing to allow his power to flow through imperfect, feeble human instruments like us. In fact, if you take it a step further, 
The Spirit of God not only works through us, but He dwells in us. The body of every believer is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives in us. Paul said it this way to the Colossians. I love this. This is like a motto for life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Isn't that good? That's what he told me. He said, this is what your motto could be for life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's a great motto. A great foundation of faith. And it was the motto of many of the early churches. So God doesn't need us, but He's willing to work through us and even dwell in us for both His glory and for our good. And so we're going to look at this in four ways this morning here in this great passage on the local church, the ecclesia. And to do that, I want you to go back to Matthew 16. Just for a minute, we'll get a foundation there. And we begin by saying this. If you, the notes are provided, if you'd like to follow along. We begin by saying, grace gifts are promised. Grace gifts are promised. So Matthew 16. <clears throat> this is the moment of the church's conception. The moment when Jesus said, there's going to be a, a church. There's going to be a movement. There's going to be an assembly. It's going to be founded on me, on the statement of who I am. And uh, if you look at this, we'll read it. We find this Greek word, ecclesia, in verse number 18. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock, not Peter, but the statement he had made, I will build my church. And that's that word, ecclesia, called down assembly. And look what it says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now keep reading, because it says, and I will give unto thee. So Jesus was going to give unto his disciples and future disciples something extraordinary. He said, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, this isn't the keys of the church. This is the keys of the kingdom of heaven itself. This is the authority that God is giving to His disciples to speak in the name of Jesus. Uh, they would cast out devils in the name of Jesus. They would heal in the name of Jesus. There were going to be many spirit gifts that would be given. And so in this same breath in which He founded the local church, the ecclesia, Jesus promised that His disciples and His future disciples would be given power to attack the gates of hell. By the way, gates are not offensive weapons. Have you ever noticed this? Have you ever seen somebody in your neighborhood walking around with a gate, just whacking people? Right? Oh, what are gates for? Gates are there to keep people either in or out. Right? Now, where do you think Satan wants to keep people? He wants to keep them in. Because when you're born in sin, you're condemned already. And the moment that you reach an age where you understand right and wrong, you're accountable for your sins. You're condemned already. And Satan doesn't want anybody to come in and yank people out of the fire of hell. And so the gates of hell. And Jesus said that we're here, the local church, so that we can attack those gates. So that we can pull people out of the fire, it says in Jude. 
God has given us a big thing to do. And so he's promised us that we'd be, have, we'd be given this power. But we'd also be given gifts. All the way to the point of the keys of the kingdom of heaven, which is a big gift. There are other passages that tell us that we would be given specific gifts. And that they would be gifts, not only grace gifts that are promised, but the second part, grace gifts that are personal. See, every believer would have a spiritual gift. Every believer does have a spiritual gift. And some people think that some believers have more than one spiritual gift. And I'm, I don't know if there's any conclusive evidence anywhere in Scripture that goes either way. Some people go off the parable of the talents where he gave one five and one two and one one. But I know this, every believer has a spiritual gift. And sometimes, you know, we get a gift... And all of a sudden, we think that we're pretty good stuff, right? How many of you, your parents gave you a car for high school graduation? Anybody in here? A couple people in here? I'll tell you, when you walked out of that assembly and put those keys into that Yugo, do you guys remember Yugo? You went whether it did or not. You guys remember those? How many of you know Yugo? The little cars? Do you remember those? When you got into that Ford Pinto and you turned on the key, you were hoping that the gas tank wouldn't explode, right? Or when you got into that Corvette or that Camaro, some people are really laughing. I was like, you think they gave me a Corvette or Camaro? You remember that kid who went to your high school whose mom and dad, when he was a junior in high school, gave him a brand new Mustang? Remember that kid? And he walked into school strutting. Right? I mean, he had to walk. Why? Because he was all that. And why was he all that? Because somebody gave him a gift. He didn't do anything on his own. You like the strut? It's pretty cool, isn't it? I don't know. I've never strutted before. I just thought it'd be fun. Kind of, kind of fun to strut sometimes. It's not worth a clap, really. It's not worth a clap. I don't want to see it on video. Please. Please don't do that. No YouTube, no Facebook. But grace gifts are personal. So I want you to go back to Ephesians 4 now. We're going to investigate this. And I don't want you to think that God gave you a gift so that you could strut. God gave you a gift to be used for His kingdom purposes. God never gives any of us a gift to shine the light on us he gives us a gift to shine the light on Him. We're just reflections of who He is. And you know, we should see God as a personal God. Um, yesterday I was in Florida and I uh, had a plane last night. It was supposed to leave Orlando at 7.20 p.m. And uh, right when I got to the airport, it said it was delayed an hour. So I thought, okay, well, I'll still be able to make it in and get a rental car and Things will be okay. And, and then I, we got close and we were just about to go on. And they had four people that were like in their 80s who were lined up in wheelchairs ready to go on the ramp. And all of a sudden this bell went off. And uh, every gate in the airport shut down because there was lightning in the area. There was a storm. And so they couldn't have any people out on the ramps or whatever. And so... I felt so bad for these people. They just sat there for an hour and a half. By the time we left, 
I think we were two and a half hours late. I totally lost track of time. I have no idea what happened. I just know I, I uh, called my hotel and said, do you have a night watch when I'm going to be really late? I was supposed to stay in Jerome last night, so drive up and stay in Jerome. And, uh, and then I got on the plane, and once we got up in the air, I noticed everybody had a screen and they had free television, right? Free television. And it just so happened that they had ESPN2. And I knew that the Boise State game was on, and so I was thinking, God, you've given me a gift. You delayed the plane just so I could see the game. Now, toward the end, I realized that it was not a gift, and it wasn't from God, and it wasn't personal. It was a curse. It was just horrible. That Mangum kid did us in. But, um, yeah, we lost. We lost last night. If you didn't know, we, we should have, though, we had it in the bag, too, but... But anyway, um, so I got, we landed at 11.54 p.m. The rental car counters in Salt Lake close at 12, all right? So I, I had the number punched in my phone. As soon as we landed, I called the dollar place, and I said, ma'am, my plane just landed. I'm at the back of the plane. It's really late. Would you please, please, please stay for me? And she said, she started laughing. Can I catch a break? She's laughing at me. She said, you don't need to worry, sir. We open till 1.30 tonight. <laughs> okay, that's good stuff. So I got the car, I drove to Jerome. I got there about 3.10. And then I got up at 6.30 and came to church, and I'm excited to be here. But I was sitting there last night, and I, I really did when I saw that, wow, they've got and have free ESPN2 right here. And I'm going to get to see the Boise State game that I thought I wasn't going to see at all. And I'm thinking, God, you're a personal God. You care about some of the things that I care about just because I care about them. Now, at the end, once again, I don't know if it was a blessing. I, I'm not sure if it was a blessing or not. But you know how we can sometimes personalize where you're driving in to Walmart and all of a sudden, wah, the space opens? Right? Or the you're you're in the drive through and two of the people leave the line. <laughs> like, whoa, hey God, you've done something great here. And we personalize God's blessings sometimes, but we fail often to personalize his gifts. Like we don't even consider that God gave each of us a spiritual gift. How extraordinary is that? God gave you the keys to something really special. And some people have never turned them on before. They've never even turned the engine over to hear what it sounds like. And some people have forgotten the gift. Like it's out in the garage somewhere. They don't even know that they have a gift. God's gifts are personal. Look at this again in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 7. I want you to look what it says. But unto every one of us. Did you catch that? Unto every one of us is given grace. According to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now, this isn't just the gift of Jesus Himself. That's the gift of eternal life, which is extraordinary in itself. This is past the. You say, well, how do you know? Well, look at verse number 8. 
it says, wherefore he says, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Not just the gift of salvation, but gifts unto men. So by his grace, he's given all of us a spiritual gift. Every one of us. Now the Bible has lists on that. We're not studying that right now. You can get a series from our library or from iTunes called Grace Gifts if you ever want to hear some teaching on that that we've done. What we're trying to to do today is to help us understand that every child of God has been given a grace gift in the spiritual DNA that accompanies salvation. The words grace and gift both remind us of what we said earlier. Our spiritual gifts have nothing to do with our own merits. Nothing. Our spiritual gifts aren't about us. They're about Him. It's grace and it's a gift, which means there's nothing to strut about. We've got nothing to strut about. It's all on Him. He gave them to us, and they're personal. But it's because He promised to give them to us. Now, we should take His gifts that are personal and use them for His glory in our lives. And we should discover what they are and know how we can be used by God. And it's a very personal thing to be used by God, to be an instrument in God's hands. So, grace gifts are promised. Grace gifts are personal. But then I want you to notice this. Grace gifts are practical. Grace gifts are practical. Now, some of you were born with physical DNA that gave you abilities. Right? How many of you can jump rope? Right? How many of you feel like maybe you couldn't jump rope? Okay, that's okay. How many of you do not like roller coasters? Your body does not like those things. All right, it's part of your DNA. It's nothing to be upset about. It's nothing to. It's just who you are. It's part of your physical DNA. Some of you were given a gene that made you six foot four, right? Some of you were given genetics that made you five foot six. Thank you. Appreciate that one. I walked by a cardboard deal of Shaquille O'Neal in the airport. Like, whoa, that's a big man right there. When I get around Nick Welch, I feel like I'm by Shaq, but Nick's only like six foot three. Shaq is seven foot one. It's way up there. We all have DNA that's been given to us. Some people are good writers, some people are good singers, some of you are good with your motor skills. You can take tweezers and do things medically that I don't even understand. Like some of you can do algorithms in your head. Most of us don't even know what algorithms are. Right? Some of you read, you actually read popular mechanics. It's like, who reads that? Who would actually read that thing, right? And some of you actually read that. Why? Because of your DNA. Some of you are computer savvy. Some of you have no idea how to turn a computer on. And when you need something on your cell phone, you hand it to your four-year-old grandchild and have them help you. Right? So those, that's our DNA. That's how we're made. We're all made with different gifts and abilities. And there's nothing to, for us to glory over. I love 1 Corinthians 4.7. It's one of my life verses. 
it's a beautiful verse because Paul talks to this church and gives them three questions. And the three questions are huge. Actually, we should turn there so you can see it too. 1 Corinthians 4. It is a lovely passage. It really is. This is a verse that every believer should know. Even if you don't know the exact wording, know these questions. Um, my high school basketball coach is the first person who ever introduced this verse to me. And he put it on a card that said, Gratitude, 1 Corinthians 4-7, and he gave it to every one of us at the beginning of the season. And man, it has stuck with me for my whole life. Look at this verse. It says, For who made you to differ from another? For who maketh thee to differ from another? Basically, it says, Who made you different than other people? We know the answer, right? God did. So instead of getting upset about that nose or those ears or the way your DNA is, glory in God for it. God fearfully and wonderfully made you, the Bible says. Who made you different from another? God did. Next question. And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? So what gift or ability or talent do you have that you haven't been given? That would be none. You've been given all of them, right? Every single gift or talent you've ever been given was from somebody else. Your parents, DNA, God, whoever. Now look at this last one. Now if thou didst receive it, so if it's a gift, why dost thou glory as if thou hast not received it? So if your talent or ability is a gift, why is it that you walk around acting like you're all that? God's the one who gave it to you. And just like God gave you these physical talents and abilities and gifts, the packaging of spiritual gifts have been provided to each body of believers. And it's this method by which we minister in our community. So look at, back at Ephesians again. And I, I want you to notice that God has given us this practical way to minister in our community. It's through spiritual gifts. God has purposed that every believer have a part. And uh, this initial list, in verse number 11, Ephesians 4, these were gifts that God gave to the early churches. Alright, so God gave some of the early churches apostles. Now, not all of them, but like the first church at Jerusalem, they were filled with apostles. Right? Like all of the apostles had stuck in that one local church until Paul came around. And then he was an apostle outside of that church. He, he was in the church of Antioch. He gave some prophets. So some of the early churches had prophets who could show up at the meeting and proclaim God's truth before Scripture was finished. Before we had the whole canon of Scripture. And then God gave to some of the churches evangelists, where they could go around in an itinerant way and preach to different churches. And God gave some of the churches pastors. Do you know that not every church has a pastor? That's the strangest thing, but they don't. I've known churches that haven't had a pastor for years. I've known churches in our city that haven't had a pastor for years. God gave some churches pastors. Now, God gave some churches teachers, and these are gifts that God gave to the local church. Okay, So, why did He do this? 
It says in verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry. Now, what it means here is that when the church grows because of the gifts God's given it, that they begin to do the work of the ministry. They do this as a service to God. And so grace gifts are practical because the building up of the body is done through grace gifts. Some of you have the gift of just coming alongside of somebody and being their friend and encouraging them. Some of you have the gift of mercy. And boy, you just really care for others in a special way. I I have to tell you, there are many of us who are not blessed with the gift of mercy. Right? Some of us are blessed with the gift of fault-finding. Like we could see every problem in every person except us. Right? We have this extraordinary gift. Maybe curse. I'm not sure. But some have the gift of administration. It's called the gift of ruling in Scripture. Some of you have the gift of giving. God provides things for you because you just love to give them away for His glory. Some have the gift of teaching. Some have the gift of proclaiming truth. Some of you have the gift of teaching. God has given every believer a gift, and it's practical. It makes sense. He explains how it works. Look down, verse number 14. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro than verse 15 may grow up into Him. Now verse 16 explains how this happens. It's like a body from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. So every member is supposed to be a minister. That's what it's telling us. Every member is supposed to be a minister. Now, there's a model that says that the only people who are supposed to work at a church are the people who are the leadership or the the paid clergy or whatever. That's not the biblical model. The biblical model is that every member is a minister. Because every member has been given a gift. Everybody is supposed to function as part of the body of Christ. We all have been given this function. I like to think sometimes of the church as a patchwork quilt. And some of you are quilters, so maybe this will just latch you right into the message, okay? So I don't have to strut again and get you all going that way. So the quilt, right? Big patchwork quilt. And you get a big patchwork quilt, and sometimes they've got these patterns, and sometimes they've just got all sorts of weird shapes and sizes. And that's kind of like the local church. The local church, you know, there are patches of the local church that are striped, and there are some that are solid. There are some that are polka-dotted. There are some that are psychedelic. right? Some of you people out there, you're psychedelic. We'll just take it from us. You're psychedelic. And some are neon. And some are plain. And some are gingham. And some are plaid. And man, you've got all these different ones. You know why God has put so many different people in a body like this? So that we can connect with people in this community in a special way. See, polka dots sometimes don't connect very well with stripes. And so God will allow you to sit next to another polka dot. And you are the one who can latch in there with just enough of a thread to keep somebody attached to this body of believers. God has given every one of us gifts. And it's practical. It's the way we function. 
God knows that we need spiritual gifts to do the ministries that we do. Now, we said earlier in the message that when every member is a minister, that's the right number to gauge. To say, how many people are involved in ministry? And as I look around the room today, we have a lot of people involved in ministry. We really do. I just We've got people who are involved in three, four, five ministries. And they're really doing too many things. And it, really, it shouldn't be that you should have do two or three things and that should be it. Some of you do five, six, seven things. And, and so the problem isn't that we don't have enough of a percentage of people who want to help. Sometimes I think the problem is we're trying to do too many things. We've got too many plates, right? Have you ever heard somebody saying you're carrying too many plates? Right? It's kind of a waitress term. Have you heard the crash at the restaurant, carrying too many plates? That happens in the body of believers where sometimes somebody tries to do too many things at once and they can only do it for so long and then there's a crash. So, here's what we need to do. I've been practical. This is the practical part of the message. It's right up on the screen. Grace gifts are practical. Right? We either need to get rid of some plates or we need to get some more people to carry plates. Because we can't go at the pace we're going now without having a bunch of plates crack and crash on the floor. Right? So this is practical. We either need to have more people get some plates or we need to get rid of some plates. And that's what we have to discern over these coming weeks and months as to what God wants us to do. I would love us to continue to have a full children's ministry. Here at Centennial, I think it's awesome to do that. I would love for us to continue to have the bus that goes and picks up people in the community. I would love for us to have a full music worship team and more instruments, and man, it'd be terrific. But you know, those plates have to be carried. And not one person can carry all of them. I came in this morning and there was already somebody walked in the door a couple steps after me. He said, Pastor, we need anything this morning. You know what he's doing? He's carrying plates. There are people who make cookies sometimes for people who are out of church or maybe new guests. That's carrying a plate. There are people uh, just who drive the bus Sunday morning. That's a plate. There are people who come in and help with facilities and do all sorts of things in grounds. We have a lot of plates going around here. And God has gifted us, and it's practical. And so all of that is to say that God wants us all to be involved. Grace gifts are promised, they're personal, they're practical. This last part. Go with me to 1 Corinthians 12. This is another passage dealing with spiritual gifts. And I want to finish up here this morning. This last one we see is that grace gifts are profitable. They're profitable. God even tells us that they are. So look at this, 1 Corinthians 12. And let's start back in verse 4, because I want you to get the context. Because true ministry is when we take our spiritual gifts and we go out for a spin. And we use them for God's glory. Verse number 4, 1 Corinthians 12. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, 
but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit, look at this, is given to every man to profit with all. All spiritual gifts have been provided by the Spirit to glorify the Lord. We already established that. You know, anything that glorifies the Lord is also for our good. That's safe doctrinally to say that, right? Anything that glorifies God is also for our good. And so what it's saying here is that when we use our spiritual gifts that God has given us, they build up us, they build up the church, and they glorify God. Spiritual gifts are profitable. <coughs> They're given for all of these reasons in Scripture. I wanted to, today, just to get to this practical part of the message, and to say, if nothing else, would you pray right now as a body of believers that God will provide the people we need to carry the plates, or God will help us to know which plates need to be taken out. That's really where we're at. We either need more people to carry plates, or we need to take some plates off the table. Because there are some volunteers and there are ministers at this church who are working at your job. You're raising your kids. You're keeping up your house. And you're carrying five plates at Centennial. And it's, you just can't sustain it. Now, you can do it for a while, but you can't sustain it. And we just really need to pray. What do you know the only prayer request Jesus ever gave? I bet some of you are thinking right now, what did he pray for? What did Jesus ask us to pray for? There's only one request that Jesus ever gave us. You know what it was? Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus said, would you pray that there be more people to carry plates? Would you pray that there be more patches that will attach themselves to the quilt? Would you pray that there be more people who will go out in the harvest fields and reach people with the spiritual gifts they've been given? We did not get spiritual gifts just to please this body. We haven't been given spiritual gifts just to be consumers in a local church. We have been given spiritual gifts to go out and attack the gates of hell. The local church is the hope of the world because of the gifts we've been given. And so would you pray today as we close, just in your seat, just pray before God and say, God, would you send laborers? Help me to know what I'm supposed to do. Help me to know what plate I should carry. Help me to know, to know which plate I should put down maybe. I don't know how it all works. But the Spirit of God does. See, the Spirit of God is the one who worketh all in all. We just read the verse. Let's pray together. Lord, as we pray right now, as a body of believers, I know that we have guests here today as well. We thank you that they would be here. But as we pray as a body of believers, we pray that you would send to us clarity. We seek your face. We seek the vision that you have for this local church. Lord, help us to know what we should do and when we should do it and who should do it. 
I pray that believers in this room would say, I've been given a spiritual gift, and I've never used it the way I should for God's glory, and I'm going to use it now. Whether that means joining the prayer team or the care chain, or whatever it is, God, would you help me today to be willing to do what you've made me to do? Lord, we thank you for the gifts. We thank you for your grace. Help none of us, not one of us, especially not me, to ever take your glory and keep it for myself. It's only you who does good things through us. And it's all to your glory and it's all to your praise. And I pray that you'd work down a special way in our midst. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Before you're dismissed, let me just invite you to invite somebody, find 